Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. Text your questions to that, that number. I'll be manning the phone, and if you want to text questions or just, you know, messages of encouragement, uh, you're doing really well, you look great up there, love the corduroy, anything like that, then, you know, feel free. And we're going to just work through a few questions between the three of us, and I hope this time is nourishing and encouraging. It's, it's been really cool to zoom right in on the Gospel of Mark, look at like 15 verses a Sunday, and... Now it's great to zoom out as well. Sometimes it can be fantastic to read through a a whole book of the Bible in one sitting. Uh, We're going to look at six chapters now, but zoom out and go, all right, what's going on in Mark? And what might God have to teach us through his biography? So we're going to do a a little quick overview before we get started. I might crowdsource this one. So everyone, why don't you grab a Bible and open up to Mark, Mark chapter 1. And what happens in Mark chapter 1, anybody? Anyone know what happens at the start? Or can just read it? Our little titles. John the Baptist. We get John the Baptist at the start. He prepares the way. And then Jesus, not Mark or John, Jesus is baptized by John. And then announces, or goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, is tempted by Satan, and then announces, this is one of the key verses in Mark 14 and 15, that the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. What happens after that? Anybody? The disciples begin to be called, and we start to see this line, follow me, follow me, drop your nets, follow me. And then we start seeing something else we see in a lot of Mark, which is miracles. miracles. That's right, Patty. Driving out of an evil spirit, healing. We sort of, chapter one in a way gives us what we're going to see for the rest of the time. Jesus preaching, Jesus calling people to follow him, Jesus doing miracles, and then Jesus praying. If we move on to chapter two, we have um, some more forgiveness and healing. The, the man who's lowered through the roof, he, he calls Levi, and he eats with sinners, which is controversial because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus has not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We, we have some um, confrontations with the Pharisees about fasting and about Sabbath, and we find out that Jesus um, says the Sabbath was not made for people. The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. And the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. In chapter 3, what do we see? Anybody? Popularity. Popularity. The crowds begin to follow Jesus. And then some anti-popularity as well, that his own family um, think he's crazy, and and so do the teachers of the law. And then in chapter 4 we see some parables begin, and, and Jesus tells the parable of the sower, which we looked at on Vision Sunday. Um, or the week before Vision Sunday, and then the parable of, of a lamp on a stand, which helps us understand our vision for this year of, of growth and multiplication. 
the mustard seed, and then the calming of the storm. Jesus is just incredible. This, Mark goes fast. If you, you know, we've been trying to go slow through Mark, but it's because Mark goes so fast. What do we see in chapter 5? Anyone remember or have their Bibles handy? This is an easy opportunity to cheat. Anyone for what happens in chapter 5? Yeah, we see the sending of the 12. Before that, the demon-possessed man, the, the um, demon-possessed bacon. Remember that one? So Brunswick. Jesus, um, so Jesus calms the storm, restores the demon-possessed man, raises the dead girl and heals a sick woman. So we see his Lord. We start, we've seen his authority over this, this book and his authority over the demonic, over the waters, over sickness, over death. And we get to, to chapter 6. And there's some interesting stories about John the Baptist's death and Jesus not being accepted in his hometown. And then some miracles. His feeding of the 5,000 and his walking on water. And that's three-minute version of what we've been looking at for the last three, four, five, six months. So that's what you can ask questions on. Any of that. You can even stretch beyond that if you like. We're willing to give it a go, so... Let's get started. All right, our first question. We've talked a lot about following Jesus, but when Jesus calls people to follow him in Mark, why does that mean that his call is directed to us today as well? So this is a really good question because a lot of the language um, we sort of spout in church is follow Jesus, be disciples. It's really common, and we sort of can just imbibe it and feel like we know what it means, and which is fantastic. But it is sort of tricky, like, why is this call actually to us as well? Um, David, do you have any ideas? First off, okay. Tell me good. Um, for me, uh, the Gospel of Mark, these first few chapters, are talking lucky about... Jesus, or, or the Father, in fact, establishing the kingdom of God, inaugurating the kingdom of God in these first few chapters. And, of course, it does, that's just the start. It continues on throughout history. And, of course, on into our own day and our current participation in, that, in breaking the kingdom of God into planet Earth. Um, so, for me, it's the exciting opportunity, actually, to follow Christ and participate with God, to join with God, to be part of what he's doing today. Fantastic. I totally agree. I think um, one way to, or two ways to answer this question, one is to, to look backwards and one is to, to look forwards. If we look backwards and, and look at what Mark is, it's an ancient biography of a man named Jesus from Nazareth. And an ancient biography was, was actually doing sort of what David's saying, was inviting people to encounter the person that the biography was about. It was your way of meeting that person. And um, implicit in, in that sort of form of ancient biography was an invitation to, to imitate or be like. There weren't biographies. There's plenty of biographies written today about anyone. Like, you don't have to sort of be Jesus of Nazareth to have a biography written about you, but it was sort of only special people that got biographies written about them then, and so 
the very form that, that this is an ancient biography uh, invites us to follow Jesus and, and look to him as an example. And, and then looking forward to what, what comes after the Gospel of Mark is the New Testament and the early Christian movement. Even if we look at some of the other Gospels, there's Jesus invites his disciples to go and make more disciples. And then the early Christian movement is exactly that, disciples making disciples. Um, the, the New Testament letters often say, look to, to Christ, look to who Jesus was to, to see God and see how you should live. And so we, from the very start of the Christian movement, we see that it wasn't just the 12 or the people in Jesus' vicinity at the time that were called to follow him, but we all are. And so this is, is the perfect place to sort of have a go at that and, and do like Likewise, as to what Jesus was calling his disciples to do, be with Jesus, know his teaching, listen to him. That's the invitation of discipleship. Let's go to the next question. This one asks, why is there such a discrepancy between the amount of healings and miracles Jesus was doing then and how much we see today? All right, just a really easy one. God has always been powerful in showing his, his power, his presence, and there are, are particular seasons in biblical history, as we look at the biblical narrative, and indeed church history at the time since Jesus and the time up to now in history, where God has been more present in power. And, and, and what... If you look at the biblical narrative, there's so many, many times, epochs or seasons or even moments in the biblical narrative where God is absolutely incredibly showing his power. Creation is one of those times. And, and yet the time when Jesus came and taught and did his signs, his marvellous deeds, there seems to be an intensive, intensifying of his power. And that's good and right because, as Dave has already said, Jesus come and came to bring and inaugurate and kind of begin the kingdom of God and this new season um, in history in the most incredible way. Jesus, we, we believe and we know, is God himself. And so God himself coming to the earth, what could we expect but incredible um, manifestations of God's power? And it's also good just to hold intention, though, that, that there's times in biblical history of waiting, of waiting on God's power and revelation. Um, the four or five hundred years before Jesus was born, a huge and long season of God's waiting. If you think you're waiting on God for an answer prayer, try being the, you know, the, the Jewish people waiting for their saviour for that many hundreds of years. And so God is absolutely powerful and incredible in displaying his power, particularly and intensively in Jesus. But also, um, there are seasons and times as well where it seems um, that there is a waiting on God's power and, and, and absolute healing power and miracles too. Thanks, Megan. Yeah, look, I certainly agree with all of that, that there's this sense of God's sovereignty and his purpose throughout history. He's working to a plan. And as we look through the biblical narrative, we see times when remarkable demonstrations of God's power. And the thought that came to me when I was thinking about this question was the, the time when Israel, the people, the children of Israel were being brought out of Egypt. And we saw those plagues in the Egyptian capital. And all of those remarkable events in Exodus. And of course that was about the people of God being formed. 
God doing something new in establishing the people of Israel. And I was thinking again, who, who else in the biblical narrative is remarkable for their the wonders and miracles? And I was thinking of Elijah, Elijah and Elisha in the book of Kings. And again, for me, that was about the movement of God. Israel had, at that point, um, become quite apostate. Many of them, and Ahab in particular, were worshipping Baal. So they turned away from God, in fact. And I think what Elijah and Elisha were about was this new move of God, again, to restore Israel to be the people of God, I mean, to be the people of God. Then, of course, we come to Christ himself. And again, this is part of God's purpose, his divine plan. The breaking in of the kingdom of God, I say it again, the establishment of the kingdom of God, this was God's sovereign purpose for, for, for earth, for us. And I guess the other couple of things I would say in this question is that the question assumes that we don't see um, many miracles today. And I would challenge that, in fact. I think it probably depends where you look. I think, Megan, you were saying earlier on this morning that there are places you look around the globe at the moment and there is a remarkable demonstration of God's power. You go to Africa, you go to China, you go to parts of Asia. There is incredible movement happening today. And yes, it seems to be quiet here in the Western world and we've walked away a little bit, I think, and we've fallen away. But this is part of God's divine plan. He's, he's in process of doing his work here. And uh, I've no doubt that time will come again when we see again the remarkable work of God as well. Thank you very much. The questions are flowing in, so we're going to move away from what's on the screen and, and go what's on my screen. Um, someone, someone actually asked a question uh, on this topic, so we'll, we'll just stay on some of the, the miracles, healing stuff at the moment. Someone asks a question about um, praying for someone in pain at work who doesn't believe in Jesus but is um, welcomely accepts prayer. And they found out the next day that um, their colleague is still in pain and it made them feel that God doesn't want to heal the person yet. Um, so the question is, what would the next approach to that person be when she um, asks, hey, I wasn't healed, why not? I think our call as apprentices to Jesus and, and from so many of the things he taught, our call is to pray steadfastly. And we pray in season. We pray when things seem right and flourishing and magnificent. And we pray when it seems God is silent and we're waiting on him and we're wondering, what is he doing? And so our call to our colleague is, is to say, I'm going to keep praying for you. Would you mind if I keep praying for you? I can't imagine they'll say no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to. <laughs> um, and, and to be faithful in prayer. And, and, and come and, and share that concern with the prayer ministry team. Come and get some prayer ministry and pray for that person, even though they're not probably here on a Sunday. Pray. Get your other Christian friends. Pray. Can you pray for my friend? You know. And, and let them know, oh, I've got a few of my other friends praying for you as well. And, um, and we're, we're, we're not, you know, Continue and continue to check in, you know. Um, and, and I think that 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 verse, um, it's Ephesians one, says, "I pray you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, and seated Him at the right hand of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power in us." And so we have to keep believing, keep praying. We have seen mighty deeds in this church community and in our friends 
over the number of years we've, we've been together. So let's keep believing, let's keep praying and, and don't give up, don't give up. Yeah, and it could be that God's doing a work in that person. It, it might not be specifically healing that particular illness, but God could be doing something else. He's mysterious and, and his ways, we don't understand fully, but keep persevering and pressing on in prayer. I just picked up on what you're saying at the end there, Megan, is that I think sometimes our expectations are the problem. Um, we are... We, God's not a push and button guy. We just can't dial up God and say, okay, I need to do this for me at the moment. And bang, it happens. That's not the way it works. God is sovereign. He is the one with the plan. He is knows what's going on. Our job is to be present in the middle of the crisis. So I've got a friend who's suffering in hospital and, and you're praying, well, yeah, be present. Go and do that. But we can never say that, okay, just because I'm doing that, God's going to do this. God decides. God knows. It's his plan. He's... And, and our expectations of what our prayers will produce is something very different. We think of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus came to this group of people in Israel who had all this expectation of what the Messiah was going to look like and what the Messiah was going to do. And he was actually something totally different. His agenda was right off being for the people of Israel. They didn't understand what was going on and they were crucifying him. It can be the same for us, I think, when we go into these situations. Um, God has another plan sometimes. God wants to do something different. And the outcome of our prayer may be something something we're not quite expecting, but it is something in his purposes. Thank you. Someone sent through a meme. Or like a nice meme with like um flowers and it says, When I say I'll pray for you, it isn't because I'm forcing my religion on you, it's because I believe in the power of prayer and I love you. So that's nice. Someone also um, said, this is cool. So thank you to that person. Geraldine had a question in the audience. Well, can I make a comment? Absolutely. Completely. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's by his grace that we have the miracle of creation and the miracle that he sustains this world. And so, so much of what goes on um, is a miracle and is his grace. And, and so much of what God does, the best of what God often does is, is invisible. 
and, and we don't see it and is in the human heart and is things like forgiveness, which you know, we see in Mark and is invisible. The, you know, Jesus' call is whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That is crazy. It seems like, you know, there are bits in Mark where Jesus' ministry is, is all about the flourishing of human beings, and yet somehow following Jesus isn't about human flourishing at all, but, but dying to yourself. And so there's all these complexities going on. And um, yeah, one question was, was asking, could God save the problem of faith or belief by appearing on earth as Jesus did? Why doesn't he do this? And I think it's, it's because God is, is spirit and he's invisible and it's actually incredible that that's the case. And there was a time when he, he gave us the revelation of his son as a human and we have the revelation of his word now and his Holy Spirit. But it's complex because he's incredible and complex too. Another question we have is, how or what is fasting in a modern-day world? How or what is fasting in a modern-day world? We, we see fasting in, in Mark, in the text, and we see it in the Bible. What's fasting look like today? Uh, it, it can look pretty similar, basically. Um, so not eating is, is a classic fast. Um, we, we can also fast from other things that we find ourselves quite dependent on. Um, so fasting from technology or, or phones often. Um, I don't know if you've seen teenagers who do the 40-hour famine. They come up with the most incredible things to fast from. People who like gaffer tape their mouths and fast from speaking or fast from furniture for 40 hours. A fast is, is a time of, of giving up often food, and I'll use food you know, for my language here, is a time of giving up food for the body to feast on the Father for your soul for a short time. And our bodies need food. So some, some people used to do this for like 40 days, which is crazy. You don't see a lot of 40-day fasts these days. It's pretty unsustainable. If you can do that, power to you. God bless. Um, yeah, he'll, God will need to help you as well as your medical team because that'll be intense. But if you wanted to fast for a couple of meals or a day or something... What you'd be doing, essentially, is, is pausing from, from feeding your body to, to feed on the Father. So you would intensify um, your hunger, of course, and that might um, keep reminding you that um, the bread of life is Jesus. Often that might help you in your prayer life. You become very concentrated on, on prayer or on God because you almost just need him to survive um, the, you know, the sin of hunger might um, be exposed in... No, no, hunger, hungry, angry. The sin of hunger might sort of rise up and God has to deal with um, your selfishness and your, your sin because you're, you're experiencing hunger. And, um, so it's a time where we allow God to, to be um, Lord in a particular way by sacrificing uh, something that, that we often rely on. And, and that's how, it's, how we often practice it. Today, um, yeah. So that's modern day fasting. Another question we had around the food stuff was why is it okay for us to eat bacon if it was unclean for the Jews? Megan, I'll give this one to you. 
all foods are clean. All foods are clean. And so, and because we're in this new kingdom, this new covenant, and because Jesus has made it possible that we have relationship with the Father because of him, there is nothing that is off limits for us in that way. Now, there, there are things that we know to be right and wrong in, in, our, in the way we live our lives, and we look to the Bible for truth around lifestyle and what it means to be in flourishing relationships, um, what does it mean to have self-control, um, the fruits of the Spirit, um, Ephesians 5, or my, no, Galatians 5, are a great place to look um, around what does it mean to be people of God. But because Jesus has made it possible through his death and resurrection for us to have a relationship with our Creator, with our Father, um, we don't have to obey the same laws um, as the Jewish people pre-Jesus. So that's the huge game-changing difference, one of, that Jesus has made for us, um, quite simply. Fantastic. The questions are really coming in. I'm going to go to one on the screen, number three that we had on the screen, just quickly. What does it mean to make Jesus my personal Lord and Saviour when it seems that in Mark he is objectively, universally the Lord and Saviour? If that is true, why does my response matter? So this is a, a question, I think, that deals with the text. Because the text says Jesus is, is Lord, that he is king. We see his authority. And that doesn't change no matter what we feel. And yet in application, the language often around relationship with Jesus is um, making him your personal Lord and Saviour. Uh, I think that that idea is somewhat problematic, but is also helpful. So Jesus is Lord and Saviour. The text says that as we look at the scriptures, we, we find that to be true. So that Jesus would be your little personal Lord and your little personal Saviour is, is not necessarily true. Um, he's so much bigger than that. He's Lord and Saviour of the world. And yet it's helpful, that language, because we're called to follow him. We're called to submit to his rule and reign in our life, in that we acknowledge his lordship. We're called to faith in him, that the salvation he's sort of performed or enacted for the world on the cross is accepted through faith. And he saves us through faith. And so... We respond to, to the truth that he is Lord and he is Saviour through personal response. And we get to um, be involved in his story. But I think this means that we are no longer the, the main character in our stories. And Jesus sort of comes in as a helper. But Jesus is the main character of the story of life. And we get to participate in that through faith and through obedience and through faith, we are saved and invited into that story. And through discipleship and obedience, we, um, we bow our knee to his lordship. So that's that question. And a question that, that fits in that was texted through was specific to Mark 4. And the question says, The parable of the seeds in Mark 4 seems to suggest that there are categories of belief that we fall into. Do they represent a set state for a believer? Or do they represent seasons of belief? I think what Jesus was trying to do in that parable was to 
say to all who were listening, disciples and others, that his message was going to have different receptions. It was going to be received um, in different ways. Um, one of the things that's, that's really strong in Mark, and, and I think Janet picked up on this earlier, was the crowds were amazed, and yet at the same time there's this um, huge hostility that builds in Mark ending in the Passion Week, which is Mark 8, 16. Basically the whole second half of Mark is the last week of Jesus' life. But Jesus in this parable is saying, there's going to be different responses to me. There's going to be different ways of responding to who I am. Um, and, and, and that Jesus, it, there's, there's a sense of, um, of revealing his identity through the Gospel of Mark, that we see more and more who he really is. As David said, he's not the king that people expected. He's the king that comes to lay, house, lay his life down as a ransom for many. You know, this is totally not what they expected. They expected a military king who would come and overthrow Rome. And they got something so different and so much more extravagant and incredibly generous. Um, so I think it was just about the different receptions. I don't, I don't think we have to read literally, oh, am I one, this one, or this one. There's different seasons in life when we can be good soil or rocky soil for sure. Um, but I don't think it's, you know, it's a prescription, prescriptive parable around which four am I, which of the four am I right now. <laughs> I think we can um, receive that teaching and, and look to the spirit to empower us to be good soil. Thanks very much. We're going to finish with a question that was, was sent in about back to fasting, actually. Someone asked, with fasting, I was thinking about this regarding dealing with a lifelong condition, what are your thoughts? Straight to the medical professional. I'd be very careful about fasting with a lifelong condition <laughs> as a doctor. Uh, I think we need to be very sensible about the way we approach these things. Um, but of course, fasting is one of the disciplines of the Christian life, and um, it's profitable in all sorts of ways. Um, and uh, fasting for a lifelong condition, yeah, well, I don't have a problem with that, but I, I think we need to be mindful that God places things in our lives which are often difficult, and how we live with that is really more the question for me anyway, that um, there are things which are painful and difficult in our lives and none of us want it there, but I, I think of you know, Paul and his thorn in the flesh, I think of so many instances through scripture where things happen. And you say, well, God, why? Why is this like that? So it's a whole question of suffering to some extent, isn't it? Why has God allowed this to happen? But God is doing stuff in the middle of that and through that. And uh, your fasting, I guess, is cooperating with God and achieving his purpose through all of that. Well, I'm good. Thanks very much. Thanks, everyone, for all of your questions. This has been a, a profitable time, I hope. I'm going to finish our panel by reading from, from Mark 10. In Mark 10, James and John, two of Jesus' um, disciples, they, they ask, or they, they actually get their mum to ask, you know, can they be with Jesus can, um, at the end times? They say, Mark 10, let's go to Mark 10, 35, I'll read from there. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, and teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. 
What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied. In another gospel, they get their mum to ask this. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten others heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Jesus that this story about came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And so may we learn from Jesus in applying this text and be servants and sacrificial servants. Amen. Amen. Thanks very much, everyone.